بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to the T3M podcast To all the new viewers, we are the realest podcast out here So if you aren't subscribed, consider subscribing And if you are subscribed, then hit the notifications button And if you want to go deeper in our content, then check out our Patreon With that being said, this is a very important episode featuring a very special guest Arslan Hidayat is a Uyghur rights activist from Sydney, Australia, and currently resides in Bahrain. He is the General Secretary of the Uyghur Revival Association, or the URA, a Uyghur rights organization which sheds light and raises awareness on the plight of Uyghurs in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. Arslan also runs Talk East Turkestan, the most popular Facebook page highlighting the Uyghurs' plight in the English language. Arslan has been invited to share his expertise about the Uyghur's plight by giving live studio interviews and his insights on mainstream uh, news media outlets like the BBC, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, CNN, TRT World, AFP, and many others. Assalamu alaikum and welcome, Arslan Hidayat. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you guys so much, Jazakallah khair, for giving me the opportunity to talk about um, what's happening to my people. Under the Chinese regime, so thank you. Habibi, why? It is absolutely our pleasure. May Allah bless you immensely. So, why don't you start by telling us a bit of the history of your people, the the beautiful Uyghur people? Yeah, so uh, the Uyghur people themselves are a Turkic nation. Uh, so, when you think about Turks, uh, uh, we have connections, uh, say, with present-day Turkey, Kazakhs, Uzbeks, Kyrgyz, um, and so that that sort of makes us. Uh, that's part of the, the Turkic world. And when we refer to East Turkestan, it is the most East part of geographical Turkestan. So geographical Turkestan, you would pretty much be from like Iran, Azerbaijan, all the way to uh, in the East, all the way up to, you know, even up to the, um, the, the Great Wall of China. So uh, with its long history, uh, the Uyghurs, when we say East Turkestan, it, refer, it refers to the two governments that were set up in 1933 and 1930, 1944. But if we go to the actual history, now we can go, we can talk about Turkish history for thousands and thousands of years. But I kind of like to start off with, you know, you guys are sort of an Islamic-based channel, so I sort of like to, to start off with when the Uyghurs accepted Islam and became the first Turkic Islamic nation, which then introduced Islam to the rest of the Turkic nations. Uh, so if it wasn't for the Uyghurs, we wouldn't have things like Arturul, the Seljuk Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Um, so the, the, the king, Sultan Satpurahan, in 934, so early 10th century, accepted Islam. And then for the next uh, couple of hundred years, uh, spread Islam throughout uh, Turkestan. And then uh, Uyghurs established various Uyghur kingdoms during that time. And it's not until we reach about 1759 where, where, where the Chinese uh, and the Uyghurs actually clash. And this is the time of the Sayyid Kingdom, uh, also known as the Yarkent uh, Kingdom, which was invaded by Manchu rulers in 1759. And, and um, it, becomes, or it becomes part of the Chinese empire at the time. But for the next hundred years or so, there are many revolts, there are many battles. And in 62, uh, there is a brief time of independence for the Uyghurs in 1862 that is. And during that time, 
um, the, the Uyghurs actually give Bayah to the Ottoman Empire, uh, but that is short-lived. And in 76, 1876, we have further battles with the Manchu Empire. And officially, uh, the Manchu Empire annexed the Uyghurs and label the, the East Turkestan as what we know now today as the Xinjiang, as Xinjiang, which literally means new land, new frontier. Um, so this whole idea about Xinjiang or East Turkestan has always been a part of China is not true. The name itself given to us doesn't reflect that. So this happens in 1884. Once that whole kind of Chinese empire uh, you know, China goes through many sort of empires. You have various, various dynasties. Chinese nationalists, uh, you know, dissolve or get rid of the, uh, the, the, the Manchu Empire in 1911. And um, now the Chinese nationalists is what is the people that we refer to right now being the leaders of present day Taiwan. So that's their ancestry. Uh, from 1911 to about 1933, the Uyghurs try and get their independence away from the Chinese nationalists. And in 1933, we established the East Turkestan Islamic Republic in the city of Kashgar, which, which borders with Afghanistan. Now, East Turkestan borders with many countries, um, including Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, uh, Pakistan, India, Russia to the north. You've got Mongolia and obviously China itself and Tibet as well. Um, so the East Turkestan Islamic Republic is established and then we lose that uh, country quite quickly. But for the next 10 years, we are still fighting the Chinese nationalists. And in 1944, uh, with the help of the Soviets, and this is the time, you know, about the Second World War, where, you know, where, where borders are being ma made and, uh, you know, lines are being drawn in, in the dirt. And we, we, we established the East Turkestan Republic, which is established in the north in the city of Gulja. And yesterday um, was its 21st, uh, sorry, 24th uh, anniversary of the Gulja massacre. People can check that out. February 5th, Gulja massacre, where hundreds were killed and uh, thousands were arrested uh, simply for calling for their basic human rights, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, um, so that happened yesterday. And so, so that Republic, 1944, and up until 1949, 1949 is when that is dissolved and taken over by China, Chinese communists. Um, you know, during that time, you know, during the whole World War II stage, we know that uh, the United States bombed the hell out of Japan, which Japan was occupying most parts of China, uh, together, they got rid of the Chinese nationalists. So you can say that the Chinese Communist Party was able to take control, not just of East Turkestan, but the rest of China with the help of the US and their allies, um, which is quite ironic. Uh, but in 1955, the Uyghurs are officially given the name Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. And, and autonomous by name, it's not really autonomous. That was the way so that the Uyghurs no longer revolt against China or any sort of Chinese um, government or regime. Um, but since then, this genocide or this, uh, the oppression has been happening since 49 under China's current regime. 
Um, so you had Mao Zedong and you would have heard of something called the Great Leap Forward, uh, where, you know, many layman people were sent off to the farms and anywhere between 45 million to 75 million people were killed. So um, when we talk about Holocaust, China itself has, has gone through many Holocausts and that number, um, it, you know, outweighs what whatever happened to the Jews. And right now what's been happening with the camps uh, is similar to what happened with the Jewish Holocaust. So after Mao Zedong, you had someone called Ding Xiaoping, which sort of, he sort of opened the, the gates to, to the West and to the world. And during that time, uh, many foreign investors were able to invest in China and sort of things like human rights and that they were put to one side. And during the 80s, uh, the West and the world really thought that, you know what, we're having issues with Soviet Russia. You know, we want to keep China, hopefully through these business dealings and we're able to sort of democratize China and make it our ally so we can, you know, fight Russia and fight communism as a whole. Obviously that did not happen. And you guys famously know that in, uh, of the, the, the Tiananmen Square massacre, which happened in 1989, again, that was pushed to one side and dealings with China constantly happened. What was interesting was in 1980, that China introduced the one child policy and for the minorities, the two, two, the two child policy. So with that, once they started implementing the two child policy upon the Uyghurs, we had something called the Baran massacre where thousands of people were killed because they were protesting um, against their women being sterilized and uh, women having forceful ab abortions. And when we're talking about abortions, we're not talking about four to six months. We're talking about women, seven, eight months, nine months, women who are about to give birth um, being aborted. And that practice still happens until today, where if you're about to have a third child, um, you will be aborted. And even if you did have it, have that third child, the parents are likely to go to jail or be fined. And, you know, just like with many Eastern uh, cultures, Arabs, Turks, we have many children. We're not like the West. We have one or two children. It's um, four, five, six, seven, eight children. So um, that was a very big issue. That was a very big uh, massacre. Um, as I mentioned in 1997, uh, there was the Gulja massacre, where again, people were protesting for their rights. And these sort of massacres happen every 10 or so years, where there'd either be riots or there'd be a protest. Um, and, and thousands are culled. We don't know the exact number of people that disappear. With regimes like China, you know, they'll put out numbers of five, 10 people dying. Even right now, to this day, China says only 5,000 people in a country of 1.3 billion have died from COVID. Whereas in, this, in the United States, you've got half a million people. So any, any sort of numbers that come from China or the status quo is, uh, we, you know, we take it with a grain of salt. Then we have something 12 years later in 2009. Um, before 2009, you guys obviously know, you know, residing in the West, um, you know, September 11 happened in 2001. And uh, in that time, you guys understand that um, you know, George Bush said, you guys are either with us or the terrorists. And what China did was at the time, they used the global war on terror to say that, you know what, we've got Muslims, we've got terrorists in our, in our borders, we're going to deal with them just like you're dealing with, you know, just like, you're, just like how you're invading Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, they said, we're behind you, but you guys have to be behind us 
when we're dealing with our Muslim problem. So, so the West in the United States sort of forgot about the Uyghurs and um, saw the Uyghurs as sort of, uh, you know, terrorists and, you know, growing up, I'm 34 this year. Uh, that, that was at a time when I was in high school. I myself experienced uh, discrimination um, from my fellow Australians because uh, from the way I look and they knew I was Muslim and yeah. So in 2009, we, we see another massacre, uh, the Urumqi massacre, you guys can look this up. Again, it was a student protest, uh, very, very similar to what happened in Tiananmen Square around 20 years before. Um, and, and again, uh, since then, uh, not too long after that, the, you know, China started its Belt and Road Initiative, which is a trade route, which is supposed to uh, secede whatever um, America has going on, any sort of trade deals in, in, in East Asia or, in, or Asia as a whole. And um, from that, to sort of control the region uh, as much as they can, before this project actually goes into practice, we see modern day 21st century concentration camps very much alike what happened with uh, the Jews during the Jewish, Jewish Holocaust. And um, sort of leading up to the camps, uh, we saw, um, you know, people who look like myself with a beard, uh, who pray, who people who had hijab, people who say, you know, at the beginning of this, you did a dua, you said salam to me. Uh, those things itself are illegal. Uh, Muslim names, um, uh, becoming illegal. So, for example, uh, you know, names like Muhammad, names like um, Fatima, Aisha, people had to change the names of their children. Um, uh, Qur'ans being burnt, Qur'ans being translated to reflect um, Ch uh, China's communists, uh, their, their propaganda line. Um, uh, imams, right? Imams not just being killed, Imams being forced to dance on the stage to say that dancing and music is okay. And so it, it, it wasn't just a matter of just killing and raping and uh, indoctrinating. It was denigrating the religion. I've spoken to some former concentration camp detainees where they've told me that they were taken um, and they were urinated upon. And you think urinated upon by Chinese guards and you know why they urinated upon one of these people is because they said, don't you Muslims wash yourself before you pray? Wash yourself with this. And so the, 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 the stories coming out of the camps from former concentration camp detainees that have made it out because either their husbands were, were citizens of other countries or they themselves were dual citizens um, are, are very horrific. And right now, uh, it is estimated anywhere between 1 million to about 7 or 8 million people in these camps or have gone and left these camps. These camps, um, whether it be the concentration camps, which mainly is for torturing, um, indoctrinating, um, and creating Chinese people, uh, because one of the reasons why, actually the main reason why Uyghurs are put in these camps is because we are not Chinese enough. We are not assimilated enough. Okay, so what I mean by assimilation is, so for example, you guys living in, I assume you guys what, are in Canada or, or United States, right? So I, I'm in Australia. So what, what they mean by assimilation is because I'm Muslim, right? I don't drink, I don't eat pork, I don't free mix, right? But the Australian government is not going to lock me up because I don't do those things, 
right? But for China, not drinking, not eating pork, saying salam, teaching your kids the Uyghur culture, teaching your kids Islam, walking the way you walk, eating with your right hand, saying statements like, my brother, don't do that. That is haram. Do this. That is halal. Statements like this is seen as separatism, is seen as extreme, right? So, so that's what we mean by assimilation. Obviously, we as uh, citizens of the various countries in the West, we do not, you know, you know, call for violence in any of the lands. As long as we do this, we are okay. But, but, but the normal things that we do is, is considered to be part of that culture, whether you're British Muslim, American Muslim, Australian Muslim. So China you, has been using this, uh, this sabab, this reason of terrorism to lock up millions and millions of people. It's not to say that we have a few bad apples in each population. There are a few bad apples, but you don't see, for example, you had fighters from the United States, you had fighters from France and Belgium, you had fighters from Australia go to Syria, but you don't see those governments locking up the millions or, so, or the thousands of Muslims that live in those countries. If there was any reason to lock them up, those countries would. So China has been using that as an excuse to lock up Uyghurs willy-nilly. And another excuse that they use is that the Uyghurs are some, they're not educated or they're not culturally, um, you know, that, that, that they're like barbarians, right? That, that, that's how they see it. But the people that are going into these camps are people that have actually worked for the government. They have been communist members. They have, they have propagated for the Communist Party for 20, 30, 40 years of their life. Uh, people that were already retired, getting a communist pension, or that were about to retire. People who are actors, singers, comedians, footballers, people who are rich. They knew the Chinese language, they knew the Chinese law, um, and they still know the Chinese law. Um, and so, uh, you know, besides this, you, you, you saw the, um, you know, the demolition of mosques, demolition of churches. Now, China is not just against Muslims, they are against every religion. So. Christianity, Judaism, they do not allow for the practice of the new age religions. So, you know, the various new age religions out there. And even if, I mean, there are still mosques there, there is still Christianity, but it has to be state sanctioned. And what they will do is they will take verses of ayat, they will, they will take verses of Quran or hadith and manipulate it in a way to use it for their own propaganda. Other countries do that as well. I've seen that, but China take it to another level where they're actually mistranslating or rewriting the verses of Al-Quran. And, um, and just two or three days ago, you guys may have read of the BBC report of systemic rape. So right now, these camps are not just used for indoctrination. There are the labor camps where they, where they make the biggest brands in the world. Pretty much every single brand from your Apple to your Nike to your Adidas to your H&M to anything and everything, somehow, even from our Heinz ketchup, even that comes from there. 80% of China's cotton, 80% of China's cotton comes from East Turkestan. So most likely, if you're wearing anything made in China, it most likely came from a Uyghur slave. And right now in the United States, there is a bill called the Uyghur Forced Labor Bill, uh, Uyghur Forced Prevention uh, Labor Act, to sort of stop this and at least stop the, the dealings or the importation of those goods. 
we see China profiting. Now, it's not when we compare the Jewish Holocaust with the Uyghur Holocaust. Now, the Jews were totally eradicated in gas chambers. But with China, they take it to a level where they, they benefit off the backs. They benefit off the slave labor. They benefit off the hair. So you would have read a report about 13 tons of hair seized at the U.S. border. How many people's hair, how many people are in these camps where you've got 13 tons of hair from one shipment, right? And Uyghur's hair, obviously, Islamically, it is not correct, but the Uyghur, like within Uyghur culture, the way that the women braid their hair, depending on how many braids they are, it's culturally significant, whether they're married or not, whether they're divorced, whether they're widowed, and it means certain things. So Uyghur women, and not just Uyghur women, just women in general, don't shave off their hair unless, you know, there's a very, very good reason for it. We have also a situation where, from the BBC report, where rape is sanctioned and um, it's systematic. And in that report, it tells us that plain clothes, meaning people from the outside, are paying good money to get into those camps to be sexually, you know, with those weak women. And there, are, there, there was a testimony of one Kazakh woman who was working there as a cleaner who had to strip the women, tie them to a rope on a bed and clean them up afterwards. And these men were paid. So we see another aspect of the camp as being turned into brothels, state-sanctioned brothels. For the other women, either who are out of the camps or who are trying to prevent their family members from going into the camps, they sign up to get married to Han Chinese men. And these Han Chinese men are generally people that work for the CCP, that they are rewarded. They are rewarded. Like our women are given as ghanima to the Chinese men. And this is to dilute the Uyghur blood because Islamically, you know, you know a non-Muslim a, a non, woman does not get married to a, a non-Muslim. But besides that, even if um, we didn't look at this from a Islamic perspective, the forceful marriage of anybody is you know it, it, it is wrong and the, the the children of the people in the camps are themselves just like what happened to the jews are sent to boarding schools to be indoctrinated so it's not a matter of simply just killing off the uyghurs like a rwandan style massacring it's to make the uyghurs chinese because the uyghurs look like me the uyghurs look they don't look chinese at all simply the uyghurs being there looking the way we are, eating, the, eating what we eat, saying what we say, praying how we pray, is too extreme, is separate, it goes against China's um, status quo, and China does not like difference, even though it boasts having 56 different nationalities, a good 50 of those have been diluted or have been part of the greater Chinese society. But groups like the Uyghurs, Tibetans, Mongolians, and a few others have kept their culture and kept their religion. Um, and this is seen as a threat. And because we're still there, the, the reality of an independent state can become a reality because we're physically there. And so they're trying to get rid of that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much in a nutshell what's been happening. But yeah. Subhanallah, the, the amount of new information that I've gotten 
in the past however long it's been is actually insane like it's 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 well it's, it's so heartbreaking that no like people know about it but like i feel if everybody knew about it to this extent they'd be a lot more heartbroken over it because we hear about concentration camps but to actually hear what's you know going on inside of it and reading that bbc article i couldn't even make it to the end i couldn't even make it to the end well lunch well, as, as we've seen, it's been talked about on mainstream media. But again, there seems to be a disconnect. People are not reading mainstream media. Um, I believe it has to get to a stage where it's, you know, people can take it in, for example, whether it be in movies, whether it be in, um, you know, uh, whether, whether it can be addressed directly uh, in popular culture. Uh, that's not happening enough. Uh, it's not happening to a stage where, for example, the politicians are acting on climate change because there are mass protests every day about climate change. So it's not to that level yet, even though it's talked about your BBCs, your Wall Street Journals, your New York Times. Um, but, but again, talking to channels like yourself, talking like, and then from here, families talking about it and then acting on it. You know, especially if you're in a university setting, talking to um, your professor. So that sort of that people action is still missing or there's not enough happening of it. Um, yeah. The Prophet Sallallahu he said that when a person sees wrong or injustice to change it with their, their actions. And if they can't, then change it with their tongue, with their mouth. And if they can't, then at least hate it in their heart. Mm -hmm. And what our, our brother is saying essentially is, you see, you see injustice, you see the wrong, or you hear about it. If you can't do anything about it physically, then change it with your tongue. Word of mouth, spread the news, let people know, make people know. Send them this podcast, send them, um, what's the name of the, the uh, Talk East Turkestan, right, on Facebook. Send them that page, send them the articles on uh, Al Jazeera, send them the, the interviews and everything. Send them this interview, the interview he did with Hamza Zortzis. Pass it along. Don't, don't hold this information. This is actually an imana from Allah, the fact that you've, you've even heard about this. And now Allah is entrusting you to pass it on to, to make people know. And just imagine, just imagine you or your family in that situation. On the day of judgment, do you think the, these people are going to say, you know, it's, it's just the Chinese people that did this khalas, that's it? No, they're going to say there, there's an entire ummah, there's an entire Muslim nation that was supposed to be backing us and they weren't there. And it's vile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even for the longest time, we've been saying that, you know what, you guys have to stop or the West has to stop this um, even by force. They've done it in the past. Um, and I've talked to many. And, you, 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 know, you know, when we Muslims talk about force, you know, we're automatically labeled as terrorists. No. People, I've talked to many American white professors. I've talked to people in American military. They're talking about, you know what? Force has to be an option. So, and, and this, the Uyghur option, uh, well, the Uyghur plight is the only topic in, in the West, at least, where the left, the right, religious, irreligious, atheist, Jews, um, even enemies of Islam, Islamophobes are saying, this is wrong. We need to do something about this. So uh, I, I know, you know, uh, Muslims are afraid sometimes to speak up their mind for, for what's happening within certain Muslim groups. So for example, Palestinians or Rohingyans, they fear they're going to be labeled, they fear they're going to be attacked by their own governments. But no, you'll actually be celebrated, you'll actually be promoted when talking about the Uyghur issue. So again, this is in a manner because a lot of the people you, I, I presume listening to this channel uh, are from countries who their parents came from, who themselves would have been persecuted if they continued to live there. 
So you yourself being out in the West or out living freely, why did Allah put you in that situation? There is a reason. And you were asked about what you could and couldn't do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I've talked to many sheikhs where I asked them, will the, will, will the Uyghurs be asked about, and I told them to base it on evidence. I said, will the, will the, will, will the, will the Uyghurs be asked about their ibadat, their five daily prayers, their fast? They said, no, they won't be asked about this because they simply can't do it. Because the moment that they, in the camps, one of the former concentration camps with, uh, detainees were telling me, they were telling me that when they were sleeping, their hands had to be out of the blankets. They, they, they cannot have the, their hands tucked into the blanket. You know why? Because the guards thought if their hands are going to be inside, that they're going to be doing zikr. But we know that you can still do dhikr with the heart, but that physical with the tasbih, with the fingers, they thought they wanted to even stop that. In, in, in what happens in the indoctrination is that the teacher who is teaching and what they teach is that, that there is no God, that there is no Allah and that your God is Shijinping. And every morning, the, the, the detainees have to write letters to Xi Jinping. Essentially, it is a dua to Xi Jinping, to, set, to repent to Xi Jinping, to make tawbah to Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, the leader of China, because that they, have, that they had made tawbah to Allah and that they would no longer make tawbah to Allah, that you know, what they learned was incorrect. And every time each class finishes, on their way out, they ask them, is there Allah? What are you going to say in that situation? You're going to say no. Next person, is there Allah? And any person, obviously, you're going to say no. But if you hesitate for a second, if you go, is there Allah? And you wait, you get beaten for that hesitation. So every little, there, there, is no, there is no room for rebuttal. There is no room for protest in any way. So people go, well, why don't they protest? Why don't they fight? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Well, you can't fight because you can't get weapons in. Geographically, if you look in the Guinness Book of Records, East Turkestan is the furthest geographically away from open ocean. You've got nine of the 10 highest mountains surrounding East Turkestan. If Uyghurs wanted to escape, you can't escape. If you are to escape to the Central Asian countries, they'll simply sell you back. We have seen this documented. Pakistan, they'll sell you back. If you go towards Southeast Asia, Thailand and Cambodia will sell you back. Uyghurs are not given passports even if they want to leave. So many people say, oh, look at our Syrian brothers. They are fighting. They're doing jihad. Okay, they can because you can get weapons in and they can leave from north. They can go to Turkey. They can get support. They can get refugee. But no, you're trapped. There's no way you can leave. So it is such a dire situation where it is the worst thing happening in the world right now, without question. Because, you know, many people sometimes get upset with me when I compare, for example, what's happening to our Palestinian brothers and sisters, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve the situation. But in Palestine, you can still throw a rock at an IDF soldier. Eventually, the, uh, once a Zionist kills you, they give the body back and the people you know, say, Allahu Akbar, and they're given a funeral. Palestinians are not being forced to speak Jewish. They are not being forced to change their names. They can still speak Arabic to their children. They, they still have hijab, they still have the beard, they still can do salah. 
So a lot of these luxuries that even oppressed nations, oppressed Muslim nations have, we do not have. It's to that level. And for us, and I've said this many times, places like Palestine, I even spoke to Mozambique, and he even said himself, Guantanamo Bay was a walk in the park compared to what's happening to the Uyghurs. Because he was housed with Uyghurs in Guantanamo Bay. And that's what, the, that's what the Uyghurs said from Guantanamo Bay, that Guantanamo Bay was like Jannah for them compared to what's happening in Chinese concentration camps. Because in Guantanamo Bay, the, the, Guantanamo, the former Guantanamo Bay pris uh, prisoners, they were saying that they had Quran in their cells, that they could fast, that they could pray that they had beads. Akhi, this, what more do you want? SubhanAllah. Mm -hmm. And like you think about the Prophet and he was, he was an activist, simply put. Yeah. So we can't be out here not taking action. So we're going to get into that in a bit, inshallah, like what we can do as individuals, what we can do as uh, people that are in universities and in institutions. But I had a quick question about what you said before. They, they seized 13 tons of, of hair. What were, they, what were they doing with that? Well, well the hair is, is basically for um, the women, like uh, wigs. So, so they get real hair. You know, you can get wigs with real hair now, extensions, the, uh, it's for profit, so they sell it. Um, the last figure I got from Radio Free Asia that they were made that in 2019, they made $1.8 billion just off the hair. And we're not talking about organs yet. There is a situation mm -hmm. uh, called halal organ harvesting. Google it right now, halal organ harvesting. Where And this is advertised by Chinese hospitals to invite Middle Easterners because they opt for halal organs. They opt for organs who from Uyghurs because Uyghurs as Muslims, we don't drink, we don't smoke. So it's clean. You know, they, they think about these things apparently. And as I mentioned in these hospitals, you know that China demolishes mosques, demolishes like the word halal has been removed for all restaurants. But in these hospitals where they cater to the Middle Easterns, these rich Gulf nations, um, they have mosques and they have Muslim canteens in the hospitals. But on the outside, mosques are being demolished. So this is all over YouTube. You, you can't, you can't, it's not just hearsay. Like the Chinese themselves promote it on their websites and their videos. Um, and yeah. Okay, the first question I want to ask you, Rahi, is why are Muslim countries in silence right now? Uh, well, one, uh, Muslim countries in one way or another are oppressive themselves. Number two, um, many of them are, they've left the deen. And I don't like to use the term Muslim countries because that would imply that they themselves are ruling by the Sharia. Um, I like to use the term Muslim majority countries. Um, and so China, before they opened those countries, um, before they opened the camps, uh, anywhere between 2012 to about 2015, they went to those Muslim majority countries, made dealings, um, especially with countries like Saudi Arabia with Mohammed bin Salman, which he visited, made multi-billion dollar uh, dealings with China, um, whether it be their own infrastructure because to, to increase in trade, to increase in roads, to increase anything economically, financially, uh, they opted for China because they were the cheapest option when compared to Europe and the West. So that they, so they bought them and not just that they're silent, they are actually supporting. So they, they have been various letters 
written to the UN where a lot of the signatories are Muslim nations who are in support of um, China's camps. So what, what they do is they'll pick one or two influential people from countries in the Middle East, from Muslim countries. They'll take them to China. They'll take them to East Turkestan, visit the so-called camps. And you've seen some of these where it does look like a school where they're sitting down, they're wearing nice, and they're saying, if you're happy and you know, clap your hands. You've seen these clips. Those are not the camps. So they went to these camps. They saw imams reciting Quran. So that they were on what they call pomptican tours or stage tours of those camps. They went back to their governments, told their leaders, there is no genocide going on. And they went about their way. And so if it was silent, it would have been enough. But they are supporting, they're saying China is doing the right thing. And what they do is, China and the Middle East say, well, it is better than countries like the US bombing Afghanistan and Iraq back to the Stone Age. That's their rhetoric. So at least we are educating these people, but um, they're using that excuse. But right now it is, it, does equi it is equivalent and many Jewish leaders, many Jewish rabbis have said that what's happening to the Uyghurs is what's uh is what happened to the jews and it's far worse because china has all this technology china has surveillance china um has the money and the influence they've influenced every single country not just in the east but also in the west so we have things called confucius institutes which is pretty much in every western university that there can be where they it's a pretty much introduction to china they teach chinese language they teach chinese culture um, and it's basically to soften the students, the university students, because um, that's how you get them. If your university students are getting used to the fact that China are a reliable, um, believable, honest government that they could potentially work with in the future, then those university students in 10, 20 years time, when they become the leaders of their countries, they'll have better relationships with China. Um, and so there is, a, there is a push, especially in Australia, to get rid of those institutes because China used, because of the vast population, China is the most populous place with the richest people. And where do rich people send their kids? To the West. So, and, and they are paying top dollar to be educated in these Western institutes. These Western institutes, uh, the biggest names in, uh, of universities don't talk back or they or they're not against because they're afraid that they'll that they'll lose all that money coming in from international students um mm. yeah <clears throat> okay on how rami do either of you have a question because i want to ask something that's going to kind of veer off i go in. Oh, okay man uh so austin brother so the un the united nations who who's we already know what their role should be but forget or should and we know they're deeply tied to the World Health Organization and all that. Tell us about their, what they've been doing or their lack of and, you know, why that's been stemming the way it is. Well, as you mentioned, the UN was specifically set up right after World War II, right after what happened to the Jews. So what happened to the Jews doesn't happen again. You know, the famous quote, never again. But the opposite has been happening where we've seen, especially in the past year or so, with how... The World Health Organization, which is an arm of the UN, you know, backing, um, you know, promoting what, how China's dealt with COVID. Same thing happening with um, 
with, uh, with the UN. We have to remember after, after the UN was established, the winners of the UN were who? America, England, France, Russia, and China, the big five. So anything that does happen or the, anything that, that the UN does try to do um, is vetoed by China and or Russia. Number two, we've come to find out that um, I had the honor of interviewing a UN human rights lawyer um, who was a whistleblower who, who she said with ample evidence that the UN gives names of Uyghurs who are about to speak um, at the human rights councils or the meetings there to the Chinese so that they can apply pressure to their families so that those Uyghurs don't end up speaking at those forums. So the UN is giving out their names. So the UN, not just with the Uyghur situation, and I'm sure you've seen with most situations similar to the Uyghurs, they don't really do much because the UN is supposed to be a place where they stop oppression and do all these things. The UN was established so that countries don't take on that responsibility of labeling things a genocide, so that countries don't take sole responsibility of going to a war. But we've seen that in even in, at the beginning of the 20th century, 21st century, that the UN isn't capable of stopping wars and the UN isn't capable of actually stopping genocides. So other organizations have had to be propped have had to be propped up uh, like the Interparliamentary um, Alliance Against China, sort of a UN 2.0 and other organizations that have come up because the UN is simply not doing what they were set up to do. Um, and so you've got countries like the United States um, putting their hand up, labeling it a genocide. Other countries hopefully are going to follow suit to stop this. And we are calling for not just economic sanctions, if that doesn't work. Now, economic sanctions took place during South Africa's apartheid. Um, uh, South Africa was economically sanctioned. They were, they were sanctioned from not being able, they were boycotted where they were not able to take in world sporting events. Um, and that helped in eventually getting rid of the apartheid government. We're calling for the same thing. And if that doesn't work, to call on for Western military intervention to take things by force, because it's not just Uyghurs, you've got Tibetans, you've got Hong Kong, that, that influence is spreading across Southeast Asia and we have to nip it in the bud. Um, and yeah, and, and I openly call for either a peaceful transition, economic sanctions or by force. And we're not wrong about this because this has uh, constantly happened and I have had the honor of talking to people in the Trump administration. I've talked to people from the National Tea Party and um, I'm not being attacked or I have not been investigated by my own Australian government for making such statements ever. Quite the contrary, I've been promoted. So um, we should not be afraid when it comes to this. Yeah. 100%. I just wanted to, to um, elaborate on the, the point of violence. I feel a lot, of, a lot of the time when people say, you know, we shouldn't resort to violence, they're coming from the, a very weak position of uh, perhaps we were in a state of peace, right? So yeah. we would all agree that if you're in a state of peace, you should never result to violence. But if someone is attacking you and you're now in a state of violence, then why should you be peaceful? That's, if anything, that's idiotic. Exactly. And there is ayat in Quran, you know, you, you have to defend yourself. You know, if, if your mother is being raped in front of you, if your sister is being raped in front of you, if your whole, if your whole family is slaughtered, naturally, Yanni, without even thinking 
um, you're going to do what you're going to need to do simply for your honor, simply for Qasas. I mean, I mean, like what, how much more we're just going to turn the other cheek constantly. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not talking about radical terrorist groups. I'm talking about Western military, you know, Western supported UN sanctioned, NATO sanctioned. This is what I'm talking about. 100%. And if they can hopefully that people don't misunderstand and misquote me. Yeah, inshallah, inshallah. Uh, and if, if the West can, you know, invade places like Iraq and Iran and, and these Muslim <laughs> countries, and what the, like, what, what the hell is their problem with invading somewhere like China when there's an entire genocide going on? Uh, yeah. uh, I have one, one question actually, somewhat related. Um, actually, I, I'll let you decide, inshallah. But um, <laughs> my main platform is TikTok. A while ago, there was this, this lady on TikTok. I think she was Chinese, Wallahu Alam. And she was trying to call the entire genocide like a hoax. Like the people are just making this up. Oh, this picture was taken at this conference or this little rally and it was nothing violent and there's nothing bad going on. So um, what do you say to these people that have evidence that this is like an entire hoax and how do you defend, you know, uh, our position on this? Well, my question would be, if I were to ask you a question, does, does a country like Iran have nuclear weapons? I'm asking you guys, do you think a country like Iran has nuclear weapons? They do not, nothing like that. They, they, they don't have nuclear weapons. And you know why I and you can confidently say that Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons? Do you know why? Because investigators, foreign investigators, UN investigators have had unfettered access into Iran. And what happens after that? They write a report. Iran has no nuclear weapons to this day, to this day, China has not given unfettered access to the coronavirus. The World Health Organization is there, but it's not unfettered. They can't go wherever. They can't interview those doctors and scientists who are in prison. They can't interview the ones that were killed and they are six feet under right now or being cremated, right? And investigators have not been able to go into East Turkestan to investigate my uh, foreign minister, um, uh, Australia, Australia's foreign minister, Maurice uh, Payne has said, let us in, give us unfettered access. She said this two or three days ago. China has not, will not been able to do this. And every time you guys can literally go on to YouTube, right? Go into Uyghur documentary, Xinjiang documentary, you know, whatever. The journalists that try and give an unbiased documentary, they try and shoot something, right? Their documentary ends up about how they were followed by 20, 30, 20, 10, 20 black cars, how they are constantly blocked suddenly. So you hear this narrative. We, we were going to have a visit to that camp and there was a mysterious car accident. So they had to block off the road, you know? So you'll see this constantly. There is only one documentary where one uh, vice, um, uh, journalist was able to get in. She kind of had unfettered access, but it was still difficult. You know why? Because she didn't go there as a journalist. She went there as a tourist and she sort of spoke to the people and did this. So, and, and her documentary, if I'm not mistaken, won an Emmy award for her work because she risked her life doing that. Um, and so if the big question here is if China has nothing to hide, 
why don't they let, they let anybody in? Wallahi, Akhi, I want to be proven wrong. What do I gain from this? No one pays me to do this. I'm a school teacher, right? I work eight, 10 hours a day. And I do this whenever I have time. Why on earth am I wasting my weekend talking to you guys? I gain nothing from this. I hope there is no genocide. I hope that there is no organ harvesting. But there is, you know, if they're hiding something, something is going on. Satellite images don't lie. Thousands of witness testimonies don't lie. Me, my, my, my family, who are still in East Turkestan, don't have passports. They can afford a passport. They can afford to get visas. They can afford to travel. Why don't they have passports? They are technically Chinese citizens. That's a big red flag. Yeah. So all these things people need to think about. People are not letting are being let in and people are not being allowed to come out. SubhanAllah. That's crazy. Man, and if you if you think about it and um if I sound ignorant, then it's probably because I am ignorant to this cause, but um if you think about all these other nations. And you you would probably ask yourself, well, it's like, well, why aren't they stepping in? Why aren't they doing something if it's getting to this point? But it's like that would open a premises for war. It's it's going against China. And it's like if let's say the US were to go into China and they were to free all of these people, like, well, that just started something completely brand new. And like, who knows what's going to happen from that? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so most likely, I mean, the, the only way that this could work in the most peaceful way is to economically sanction. Because if China cannot pay their guards, if they cannot pay their army, if they cannot pay that huge surveillance, and we're talking about surveillance, we're not just talking cameras. Not just cameras outside. One, inside your house. Two, CCP officials living with you to monitor each and every move, to, to manage, oh, that person's eating with his right hand. Why aren't you eating with your left hand? These little things, like any little essence of religiosity is, they, they can't deal with that. Again, they have a self-policing state. So the Uyghurs are um, reporting each other to the authorities because if they don't, and later it comes to be that Fulan was religious, then they're going to ask, well, you were his neighbor. Why didn't you report him? And then you're also taken. Mm. So it's, it's beyond just cameras and CCTV. That's everywhere. Even in the West, we have that. But China takes it to another level where if you're suddenly, if you've suddenly got your electricity on in the middle of the night, where last month you didn't, ah, and it's the month of Ramadan, that guy must be fasting, right? Otherwise, why mm. are you waking up two, three, four o'clock in the morning, right? How come you suddenly put 20 extra liters in your car this month compared to last month? So every little thing, right? It's illegal for you to not have a smartphone. You have to have a smartphone. There was a period of time where people didn't want smartphones because there are apps that you have to have on your phone where they track everything. Yeah. So it's that there is no way of Again, no protest, and there's no way of even like secret protest where you're, you're against them because there is no blind spot. There are no blind spots. You're, you're monitored 
constantly. Hmm. Okay, so if you guys don't have a question, I, I want to ask or um, Farid, you asked it earlier. I just want to bring it up again. Uh, you mentioned before, you know, we have to spread by word of mouth um, and, and kind of go to the, the uh, you know, laymen and work the way up, gain a population, go to the, the politicians and go to whoever we can to raise awareness. Um, is there anything else we could do besides educate ourselves and others? Is there like running a pro- protest, even if it's not in China, somewhere um, I don't want to give anyone any ideas yet, you know, just, just to be safe, but what else can we do? Yeah, obviously, um, whenever you do have rallies or protests that you, that you, that you get the necessary paperwork to do so, um, talk to your MPs, um, you know, go to your universities and see if there, if there are any relationships with China, um, whether it be in technology, surveillance, AI, or organ harvesting, like, like, uh, medical, uh, gear, um, look at that. Um, you know, petitions, you know, th- there is a call for boycotting the 2022 uh, Winter Olympics. Um, a- any sort of project, even with your, if you look around and you see that there is Chinese influence, uh, try and find out why that is there and um, talk to your, you know, your local members to sort of, um, to, to challenge that. See if your local governments have relationships with the Chinese government, because there are governments that are out there where where they're where they're bribed and um, things like this, um, and and uh, the most simple thing is your presence online, Facebook, Twitter. If you haven't got a Facebook account, get one. If you haven't got a Twitter account, get one, because that is our modern day weapon. Um, you know, uh, it's the the more it's out there, the more I mean, the, the Me Too movement and, and, and that, whole, that, that whole issue was, you know, was off a hashtag, you know, um, and, and, and it's gotten to such a level um, where you can't even say hi to a woman anymore, you know what I mean? So not, not that you should, you should be loving your gaze. But um, subhanAllah, like those little things, like for example, I'll give you one example. Are you guys in the States or where are you guys? Me and Rami are in Canada and I was in Florida. Right. Um, in many states in the United States, you know, you know, they've banned uh, plastic straws. Do you know how they came about? How, how that whole movement started? You either have to have a metal straw and you have to, or you have to have some sort of other straw. Do you know how that came about? Social media. Yeah, but how on social media? I remember there was, one, there was literally one photo of a turtle who had a straw stuck up his nose and it was bleeding. That one photo and people started sharing it and hashtagging blah. And now you, you can't use plastic straws anymore. Subhanallah. So, 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 so don't think, oh, you know, what is this? You know, Allah will ask you what you did within your capacity. It's like the story of the ant. The ant could, can carry only like a mere droplet of water to put out the fire to save Ibrahim alayhi salam. That Allah is not going to ask him why didn't you grab a swimming pool, right? Allah will ask you, you know, did you? I'm not. I'm literally not joking. And Allah knows how He's going to judge, but you will be asked about how you used with the tools at your facility, how you went about that. You know, if you could have done something, if you could have retweeted, if you could have shared, if you could have written a post, and you didn't, Yani. So that that could make a big difference. End. End. I mean, we talk about the West. 
did we not see French Muslims being persecuted to a certain extent recently and they will call for boycotts, yeah. right? Don't think that this is not going to be at your doorstep. Many countries are looking to China to see how they dealt with their Muslim situation. It's no joke. This could end up. I don't, I, what happened recently? I personally don't blame Trump for the half a million people that died of COVID. I blame China. I don't blame Boris Johnson for the 100,000 English people that died in the UK of COVID. This dhulam is coming to our doorsteps. If you only knew, who expected that 2 million people would die from a virus that came from China a year ago? I, I, I was talking to a BBC reporter on, on BBC radio in November 2019. And he asked me, what should we do? I said, we should boycott Chinese goods. And the guy almost laughed in my face. But what happened six months later? Western companies were leaving China. People were, you know, investing out of China. And they realized, hey, you know what? We actually don't need China. We can, you know, we were so dependent um, on China that, you know, we actually don't really need them. So as I mentioned with a, a bit of history lesson, it was the West that made China who they are. You know, they got rid of their enemies for them. They got rid of Japan and they got rid of the nationalists and the CCP were as, is able to establish themselves. They've been t appeasing the China where they've got them to such a stage where they can sort of almost topple they can sort of take over the US with its military and economic power. Um, and now, you know, it's, they've created this monster and we can, they have to get rid of it or we have to be part of the framework to get rid of it. And I am not against even Muslims, right? When you make dua, and this is not kufr what I'm saying, make dua for the US to do this. Because didn't the Prophet make dua for Ar-Rum to take over the, the Persians? So make dua to Allah and, you know, facilitate any tools, tools that you have to do this. So question. I know that uh, China is communist. What's the main religion that they follow over there? Uh, they don't follow any religion. Number one, they are not communist. Uh, they themselves label it with communists with uh, Chinese characteristics. And what that means mm. is, first of all, in a, in a communist state or in a socialist state, the state would take care of its citizens. They don't. There are very few social um, advantages that you can have besides free schooling. And um, there's no free hospitals. There's no free... Um, Everything else is paid for. So it's a very much capitalist society with slave or minimum wage labor. And, it, and number two, the Chinese Communist Party isn't actually Chinese because the first thing that Mao Zedong, the guy who killed 45 plus million people, one, he got rid of the Chinese script or he simplified it. The traditional Chinese lettering or the characteristic or the characters that you see that is written or that is used in Hong Kong and Taiwan is not like the one that they use in mainland China. It's, it's a simplified version of it. It is sort of, if I were to compare sort of Fusha Arabic and normal sort of daily Arabic, sort of that, but worse, because you still got Arabic, right? 
or you, you, you know, you know the, the Arabic used in Al-Quran with all its dots and, you know, with, with, with everything to that simplified Arabic. And he introduced Latin, what they call pinyin Chinese, right? Number two, he got rid of every essence of Chinese culture, your scrolls, the, the various religions. So there was Taoism, various forms of Buddhism. He got rid of all that, burnt down uh, temples, um, the, the main religion in China is atheism. But they have Islam with Chinese characteristics. They've got Judaism with Chinese characteristics. And they've got Christianity with Chinese characteristics. And any other religion is illegal. So they had something called the Falun Gong in the mid-90s. And you, if you type in Falun Gong into Google with organ harvesting, they were also put into camps. They also had their organs harvested. And it was pretty much like a Buddhist style, new age religion. So any of these new religions out there is not, it's totally illegal. SubhanAllah. Mm, and they had pictures of uh, Xi Jinping in mosques, right? In mosques, in front of mosques, in mosques. Um, and so those that do come in have to realize that they're praying to him. And it's not... Um, it's not la ilaha illallah, it's la ilaha, astaghfirullah, uh, la ilaha Xi Jinping. That's what it is. That's the shahada of um, the, the Communist Party, la ilaha Xi Jinping. It's insane. Yeah. This is the difference between secularist countries like what we live in and communist places. Because secularism, you, you mentioned it before, brother, but uh, secularism is essentially we're removing the state and religion. Right. So you can practice religion, but it has no influence on the state, politics, economics, laws, legislations, nothing. Communism is far worse than this. Communism is like not only we're not going to have religion influence the state and the law, you can't even practice it. You need to. And it's kind of enforcing their own religion in a way that you need to not believe in a religion, uh, which forces you to believe in a universe without God and, and bring no purpose to your life. And that state is as Muslims, that's the worst state to, that we can be in. Yeah. So one, um, and, and, and I say this, and this is sort of goes off on a tangent, um, but I'm sure Muslims who don't practice are watching this right now. My brother or my sister, if you're watching this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put you in a country where you can pray five times a day, fast, have a beard, wear hijab and practice, go to hajj, Right. And if you're not doing this, like as I mentioned, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not ask whether or not a Uyghur prayed because he's not able to, but you're able to and you don't. So that's also a lesson for us spiritually as well. Yeah, subhanAllah. I was actually thinking about it during this podcast, like how many of us kind of lose our focus in, in our prayer? We don't really, you know, we take it for granted. We treat it like a chore and not like a blessing. Uh, and we have our beautiful brothers and sisters, the, the Uyghurs, who are literally being persecuted for wanting to pray to Allah. And obviously they would do anything to be able to, like, like they used to. Yeah. Wow, man. SubhanAllah. And, 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 and as I mentioned, no, um, no, I mean, like if we go back to the, the, the Palestinian situation or any other situation, no Palestinians are being forced to marry Jews. You know, forceful marriage, um, their kids being taken away. So, as I mentioned, economic sanctions or um, forceful means and, you know, do your bit, 
do your bit on social media, you know. Um, and uh, and as you've seen, you know, we've seen recently, uh, what was it GameStop? You know, that, that they took over the stock market. I mean, there's so, you know, these movements of social media, it, there's no, for example, in Rohingya, uh, no, yeah, Rohingya, what happened with Aung San Yuki, right? What's the first thing they did after the coup? They blocked Facebook, they blocked Twitter. Yeah. Because those, those are powerful tools. They know what it'll do to the people. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, that's why Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, VPNs are banned in China. Why are they banned? Because those things are powerful. They will influence the people. So, and, you, and, and you've got these weapons and you don't want to use them yeah. or, or use them properly. Yeah, subhanAllah. What if we... Um... And people might have already done this, Lahan, but what if we wrote like a uh, like an email template or something to forward to or to to pass on to like an MP or any um, a person with political power or, or leverage in any way? Uh, because the first thing that I think is if I'm going to reach out to these people, what am I going to say? Right. And it's a bit burdensome. So what if we had like an email template where they could put their name, read through, obviously, and designate who it's to and then send it themselves as an individual? Yeah, that has been happening. Uh, that's a great idea, and, and, we, and we can continue to do that. Um, but uh, the issue with that is how many people are actually going to do that? So feeding that information to the people, number one, have them believe in it and be firm in their belief. And I liken this to, you guys are sort of a Islamic channel, right? Is that, that's what I gather, right? It's just like when an Islamophobe right comes up to us muslims and go your god isn't real right and they say certain things you, you got a moon god and why do you guys fast why do you guys not eat pork right so what's going to happen if you don't have firm belief in allah right you're going to be sort of you know what this guy might be right right you know what i mean so educating the people and letting letting them have that firm belief and so when when chinese propaganda or things like on TikTok, where they go, um, because Chinese propaganda, they, they spend one, so billion, millions and millions of dollars on their own state propaganda. Then we have something called 50 cent media trolls, right? Or the 50 cent media Chinese army. You can literally see this, where they pay trolls to write comments, to spread, to flag your video. And I'm sure from this day forward, if you guys continue to talk about this, your videos, your tweets, whatever your postings will be flagged. Hmm. I'm pretty sure this video will be demonetized um, because of what we're talking about. Um, and so, and you watch the comments, you will have trolls on this and go, and they'll give you articles in this. So unless your followers are firm in their belief that this genocide is actually happening, that's not going to happen. So one education, and then you can go ahead and even do the, the template and all. I mean, you can do many different things. And so, yeah, that, that, that's what's going to happen if you keep on talking about this because I've been on other platforms where, uh, where it's just lay, like straight up just Muslim platforms. And once they started talking about this, they've realized they've messaged me saying, oh, look, I've been getting a bunch of these. How am I going to respond to it? I'm like, that, they're not real accounts. They're so, uh, 50 Cent Social Media Army accounts. Um, and it's similar to what happened with the whole Hashogi case where you had a brother in Canada um, you guys may know him, where he set up his own sort of anti-Saudi people like um, social media army, but he obviously couldn't 
um, I think it was 80,000 or 100,000 Saudi, pro-Saudi um, trolls. Uh, they eventually all got banned from Twitter. They locked them because they realized that working for the government. But that, that does work as well if, if you've got the funds to do so. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, another question I have is, let's say me or anybody watching is thinking, okay, I want one proper source that I could go to and read about, you know, about this even more to educate myself even more. What's one or two sources you would recommend? Well, one, obviously follow us on Talk is Turkestan because uh, on Talk is Turkestan, we, we, we share some articles, but mainly it's videos of clips that have been verified mm-hmm. and certain images. But for news articles, number one, go to Radio Free Asia, um, and t- when you when you type into Google, type in Radio Free Asia and type in the word Uyghur, U-Y-G-H-U-R, and you'll see the various clips because those journalists themselves are Uyghur. They are able to call in and get and get direct sources and uh, talk to real officials, police officers. They, they, they disguise um, their voices and talk in various um, tones. From there, generally speaking. Other Western media get, they sort of broaden what they have. Um, so Radio Free Asia is your number one source. And then go to Talkies Turkestan to very other sort of media or videos because there are a lot of fake videos out there where they're saying, you know, this Chinese police officer is beating a Uyghur. Those, those, those are very, very rare. Um, there are other types of videos where, we, you know, for example, mosques being torn down and whatnot. So yeah, those two sources I would uh, urge. And another source, the, the Uyghur Human Rights Project. They often put out academic reports of what's been happening with sources and it's very well sourced. Um, so Radio Free Asia and the Uyghur Human Rights Project. And uh, Talk East Turkestan is a Facebook page, correct? Yeah. And also follow me on um, Twitter, Arslan underscore Hidayat. Um, and so I do my postings and other rants on that. And on Talkies Turkestan, we also do interviews um, of anybody, anybody and everybody who's involved, whether it be researchers, whether it be uh, prominent politicians, activists, uh, former detainees, anything. And everyone's on our channel, Yani. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna inshallah put everything in the description box below above everything else so they can easily find it and i had a question before rami uh, goes back to carrying anyone that wants to financially support this what can they do and where can they donate well you can donate to us <laughs> but um yeah basically um as i said we, we we generally don't get funding we get we get certain donations here and there um but uh then you can also donate to those organizations that I just mentioned, the Uyghur Human Rights Project, um, and uh, also the Uyghur American Association as well. Um, and yeah, but your funding for us w- would help us. So it would give us time to create more reports, uh, have us focus on more interviews. Um, yeah. That was a great question, by the way. Just I didn't even think about. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like this stuff, unfortunately, is not free. Obviously, we do feasibility, but the reality is that there is a financial uh, part to it. And even going back to the time of the Sahaba and the Prophet you know, the Prophet asked Sahaba to fund certain things 
to, to, to fund certain ghazawat and to fund mosques and all these things. So, yani, it, it is part of the, the, the ibadah, a part of the worship as well. So. 100%, 100%, subhanAllah. All right, subhanAllah. I'm like, I'm at a loss of words now. Um, I want everyone who, who watches this, inshallah, to share it to at least one person. Just like think the first person who pops in your head and inshallah more, just send it to them um, and tell them to share it as well um, because this is the most detrimental issue in the world right now. And just think about like this. If, if you don't want to do anything to help, let's say you're lazy, you, you haven't been listening, you don't want to help at all. The least you could do to get your two cents in is just share it. That's it. And inshallah, it'll, it'll reach someone who is sincere and wants to help. But if you are sincere and want to help, please first, as a brother mentioned, educate yourself. And once you have sufficient knowledge, teach that knowledge. And then uh, go to those, you know, the higher ups, find an email template, donate, do what you can. Um, and Akhi, if you have any other suggestions for them, uh, please let us know now. Um, that's what I can think of right now. Um, and just, and, and, if, and if you guys have, or any of your followers or whoever has suggestions, make sure you give us, because I always get suggestions from others as well. Um, so, you know, may, Allah may give you ilham, you inspiration to come up with something and you guys would share with us and we would uh, reach and see what we can do to to enact that. Inshallah, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Do you guys have any, any comments or questions? I just want to say thank you for being here, brother. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for having me and um, yeah, using your um, your platform. I mean, you guys are doing what? I mean, th there are channels out there with um, one thousand followers, millions of followers, and ten million followers or ten followers. It doesn't matter. You reach out to who you reach out to, even if it's that one person, even if it's your child. You know what, my son, this is happening. You know, and your child may grow up to be a human rights activist. You know, because a lot of the activists out there are not necessarily Uyghur. We have white activists. I, I, I you know, there are Chinese activists. I mean, remember, we, we are not against Chinese people, right? Because even the Chinese people themselves have been killed, oppressed uh, by the by the Communist Party. So, um, various different people uh, of different nations, various different religious groups, atheists. Wallahi, I'm speaking to to some atheists. And they have become interested in Islam because of what's happening to the Uyghurs. Like, like, like they, were, they were like Islamophobes. And even like for me, from a Dawah perspective, just like just some understanding, they're like, it's just subhanAllah how, 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 you know, like maybe they will accept Islam through this genocide. You know what I mean? Like subhanAllah. 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 anything? Man, I'm at a loss of words, man. The first couple of things that went through my head, uh, obviously, as you were speaking, is we're going to put a big disclaimer in the beginning of the video. One, we're not going to monetize the video at all. Even if, you know, we monetize it, comes, it gets demonetized. That's not even the point. I don't want ads popping up when people are watching this. I don't want, I don't want even 1% probability that they see an ad and they're like, okay, screw it. I'm not going to watch this video. Or, you know, because I do that sometimes when I go on a video and there's too many ads, I don't want to watch it, right? So I don't want that. Two, if anyone that's watching this right now if you could share just like brother rami said to even one person who knows it's just like that that uh picture of the turtle with the straw like brother arson talked about like you might share it to that one person and eventually gets that one person that makes the difference who knows and by the difference i mean just big pivotal mass global change right but you never know unless you try so 
at the very least, that's all we can do. Subhanallah. So yeah, and it's it's not even just sharing our video. Like we're not trying to plug ourselves in. We're talking about the the whole issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like if if there's something that you see that you find compelling to share, like do it. Don't be afraid to do it. Hundred percent. Um, I was just gonna say it's so heartbreaking that people will be so angry over a turtle with a straw in its nose, and not this entire issue as a whole, an entire genocide. Um. Because not only is like, you can argue the turtle issues done by humans to animals, but now we're, we have an issue of humans doing it upon humans, not giving them any uh, alternatives. It's just like, khalas, this is all you're going to get. SubhanAllah, it's absolutely... It's the world we live in. Yeah, unfortunately. May Allah protect them and bless them all and uh, save them and destroy the oppressors and save the oppressed and allow us to be, you know, leaders for the righteous and, and leaders for... Um, uh, the rest of the world. I mean, Yarab. All right. Alhamdulillah, Yarab. Thank you again for you so much. May Allah bless you for all the work you do. Allah, like it's, a, it's an inspiration to me, and I'm sure uh, the two brothers here as well, and everybody watching. May Allah increase you in everything khair and allow you to keep doing this and and make you especially uh, a leader for this for this issue uh, for the world. I mean, Yarab. Habibi, any final remarks? Anything before we uh, close off here? Uh, just again, Jazakallah khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, you know, bless you for the work that you guys do as well. Um, and, you know, may it be a vessel for you to get into the highest levels of Jannah, inshallah. Wa iyakin. Allahumma amin ya habibi. May Allah bless you. All right, everybody. One final reminder. Share this video right now. Share it to at least one person, two, three, as many as you can. Educate yourself. Reach out to those who you can. And uh, inshallah, together, um, we can make a real change, inshallah, uh, and mm. prevent um, another huge mass genocide from happening before we're too deep uh, into this mess. Uh, with that being said, may Allah bless you all and our, our honorable guests here, mashallah. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adhab nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.